if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We are underway at 8 minutes past the hour of 9 o'clock on a Tuesday. It's the 28th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thank you so very much for being here. Um, I've got good news and I've got bad news about the presence of individuals on this show today. The good news is I'm back. Uh, after a one-day respite, I will talk about what happened yesterday with my guest host in a second. The bad news is Peter Kersenow is not back today. Pete's got uh, travel in Denver. Uh, he's still working very, very hard, obviously, in his you know his day job, his whole being a lawyer thing, and then, and then his whole being a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights thing. His status as an unpaid radio guest every Tuesday is going to have to take a backseat one time or another. Uh, so Peter's going to join us tomorrow, and we're looking forward to that. Uh, so uh, today's guest, let me run these through for you, at uh, in about a half an hour, Josh Hammer is going to join us. He's an opinion editor of Newsweek, and you might think, oh, boy, here comes a leftist, because it's Newsweek. Josh Hammer isn't that. He is a conservative. He's a research fellow with the Edmund Burke Foundation, a syndicated columnist, uh, and he's published by the Federalist Society, among other places. Josh Hammer has some very strong thoughts on what happened on Friday, which we will, of course, discuss here in just a moment or two. At 11.10, we have to talk about this. Last Friday, this past Friday, rather, we had uh, Dr. Saeed Hader scheduled. He's an MD, and he is sending very important warnings to parents and doctors about the CDC's push to uh, put COVID shots into the uh, arms of children under the age of five. Very serious warnings. We had to bump him on Friday because of the breaking of the uh, Supreme Court decision on Roe, well, technically Dobbs versus uh, the health center in Mississippi. 
But at any rate, Dr. Hader is back with us today, and I'm very much looking forward to talking to him because there's new information about this whole CDC uh, emergency authorization to put these COVID shots into the arms of the most, the, rather the least vulnerable uh, citizens, the very young, these these infants who are not sick, they're putting these COVID shots into their into their uh, bodies anyway. So uh, we're going to talk to Doctor Hader about that. So two guests, Josh Hammer at nine thirty five. Excuse me, uh, Josh Hammer at nine thirty five, and then uh, Doctor Seed Hader at eleven ten. So lots of time before, between, particularly in the entirety of the ten o'clock hour, and even after those interviews, to hear from you at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. And triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Either one of those uh, will get you here. Now, having said all of that, I, I just want to briefly address yesterday's uh, show. Um, I, I was taking my daughter back to Hillsdale. Well, technically, I was moving furniture <laughs> uh, because that's just what you do. Uh, I was moving my daughter back into uh, her place in Hillsdale, and uh, so I was able to listen to the show with Rob Walgate and Dave Zanotti. Uh, through the app. And I always tell people that, by the way, you know, of course, when you leave the coverage area on the radio, you're not lost anymore. That's the beauty of the free mobile app, AM 1420 The Answer. Just go to your app store and look for it. Look for 1420 The Answer. And so I was able to just pop that in and connect it to my car and listen to it through the car speakers like normal. And you can do the same thing. I got to tell you, um, what an education that was. What a ter- terrific historical, analytical, legal education that we got on the Supreme Court, on its history, on its goal and its role, on what it is supposed to do and what it is allowed to do, uh, on Roe itself, on Casey. And it's just terrific, just an analytical performance and an educational presentation that I couldn't have given you. Dave and, and Rob were just terrific, and I want to thank them very much. I'm very blessed. I texted uh, Rob that message somewhere about ha- around halfway through the show that I'm very blessed to have such people of integrity and people of uh, you know such such an ability to engage an audience to sit in for me and host my show when I'm not around. And I really am blessed. I have Peter Kirsten now, and I have Rob and Dave, and I have uh, Khalid Damar, and uh, I'm just very very fortunate. Uh, so I hope you really appreciated that because, you know, they brought an analytical perspective to things and a presentational t- type of perspective, if that's a, if that could be a modifier, uh, as opposed to the passionate one that I was going to bring and I'm going to bring today. And I've got a lot of passionate things that I'm going to talk about, a lot of things that make me very, very excited and happy, and a lot of things that make me just irate with, uh, can you believe they said that and they did that? Uh, it's simply amazing. Uh, so we're going to get into some of that today, but yesterday you were treated to a really, a, it's like almost like a college lecture, I thought, with two professors uh, giving you some some extraordinary information. So thank you to Rob Allgate, and thanks to him for inviting uh, Dave Zanotti along to, uh, uh, to discuss this extraordinarily important decision. Monumental, as I said on Friday when it came down, monumental in the history of the United States. So I want to get into that. Uh, uh, a little bit of that, rather, but I'm also going to bring to you some of my own passions as I have watched all of this play out over the last 72 hours since Friday, and I've got a lot to talk about. Now, before that, I'm going to ask you, if you are a patriot, go ahead and please rise. Stand and face your flag. If you don't have a flag nearby or an image of one, that's okay, but go ahead and put your hand on your heart and join us anyway. If you are a believer... 
that murdering your preborn infant for the sake of convenience was a constitutional right ever? If you are a believer that murdering children because they cramp your lifestyle is a constitutional right, if you are outraged as a result of the Supreme Court reminding you, no, that is not a constitutional right. It was never a constitutional right. Even when it was decided by the court in 1973, it is nowhere in the Constitution. If you are a believer in leftist statements like, now, including from Hillary Clinton, no less, it should not be easier to get an AR-15 than it is an abortion in America. If you believe in that, you're a lunatic. Because guess what? Firearms are guaranteed by the Constitution. Abortions are not. If you are outraged this morning that more little children are going to be given a chance at life rather than having their arms and legs cut off of them in utero, dragged out piece by piece, organs separated and sold on the black market, by ghouls and demons at Planned Parenthood, if that bothers you, well, then that flag that we're about to pledge our allegiance to doesn't mean much to you anyway. You're exempted from our request to pledge. Go ahead and take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all 16 minutes after the hour of nine o'clock so one of the most glorious things honestly that i saw over you know the course of an entire weekend of trying to you know follow up on this and see what the 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 will of the people is or at least test the to the waters if you will to see how the reactions were going to be one of the most glorious things that I saw was a headline on Breitbart. And this headline on Breitbart.com just made me smile. It made me smile. It made me almost laugh silently or, or maybe even a little OL. Maybe a little LOL. I might have just actually uh, internet language LOL'd on it. But, but it would have been just a, a soft chuckle. The headline that I saw that made me smile and gave me peace and gave me a little bit of excitement was this, quote, how to move to Canada from U.S., end quote, trends on Google search after the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Did you catch that? How to move to Canada from U.S., trends on Google search after Life was affirmed by the Supreme Court in the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And I am pretty doggone certain that pro-lifers and conservatives and believers in family are not the ones looking to leave the country that finally righted a 50-year-old wrong. Pretty certain that the socialists who live in America just realized we're not going to become a socialist country in America, and maybe, just maybe, we better go find one that is. And Justin Trudeau's Canada has become exactly that. So the left is looking now. Now, in the past, 
We have seen and we have heard a whole lot of fake promises, a lot of false promises. If Bush wins re-election, I'm moving to Canada. And it was Hollywood stars, and if it and it was, um, you know, uh, musicians and 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 all of the left wing celebrities and entertainers. Oh my God! If George W. Bush, that warmonger, that criminal. If he, uh, who invaded uh, the the, uh, innocent country of Iraq, if he wins again, we're moving to Canada. George Bush was president for four more years after that, and they didn't move to Canada. Then Barack Obama came in, of course, and turned this country to as close, I guess, to a socialist country as he could make it in eight years. And they were happy again. Glad I didn't move to Canada, because we got Barack. We brought Canada to us. (laughs) And I'm not intending, by the way, to call Canada the same type of socialist nation that is, you know, present in Venezuela, uh, Cuba, places like that. Don't get me wrong. But it's close. It's getting there. It's moving further and further to the left towards socialism. Every single decision made by uh, Justin Trudeau and his party. But I digress. Then, of course, following uh, Barack Obama, it was supposed to be Hillary Clinton just continuing in the leftist socialist turn. She was supposed to be the third term of Obama and then put it on steroids. And she was interrupted, of course, by Donald Trump. Oh, my gosh. If Donald Trump wins, I'm moving to Canada. Donald Trump won, and they're still here. Holy goodness. What are you doing? You keep promising to go. Why do you keep promising, but you're not delivering? Well, now it's more than just shouting into award ceremony microphones moving to Canada or getting on Twitter moving to Canada if this conservative thing happens or that conservative thing happens, if something happens with which I disagree. Now they're searching it out. It's trending on Google how to do it. And that makes me very, very excited. So I want to say, if you need any help, You left-wing lunatics, by all means, I'll pay. I swear to you, I will pay. I'll pay a percentage of the travel arrangements. I'll find travel agents that can help help you know help you in your in your endeavor here to live out your socialist fantasies in a country that is more willing and accepting of the idea of socialism than this still conservative red country. I'd be more than happy to. As a matter of fact, there is nothing that I would appreciate and enjoy more than if my country, if my country became so rooted in its historical, original, free, democratic, republic um, origins, if it, if it, if it returned to what this country was made by our founding fathers, those who wrote the Declaration, those who wrote the Constitution, if we turned so far back to that, what wild, radical, lunatic leftists would call conservatism or what they would call you know, moving too far to the right or right-wing extremism, they're wrong, of course. What that would be is simply originalism. If, If we moved so far back to originalism, that the left felt so unwelcome here and they left? If the left left, I can think of nothing, nothing that would be better for this country. 
Now, that is not to say that they are not welcome. We welcome all thoughts, ideas, ideology, all of it. That's what makes us different. The left likes to claim that they believe in diversity. The only diversity they care about is identity, identity politics. That's all they care about. Checking boxes, black, brown, Asian, uh, gay, trans, whatever any of the other alphabet soups are for, for the LGBT, uh, LGBTQ. All they care about when it comes to diversity is identity because those are people that they have to, whose rear ends they have to kiss in order to get their votes because it helps keep them in power. Identity politics is at their core. They do not believe in diversity when it comes to ideology. They do not believe in diversity of thought. They do not believe in diversity when it comes to ideas. It's their ideas or it's, we're out of here. Well, I'm here to tell you, we accept your proposal. Get the hell out of here. Go find your socialist utopia elsewhere instead of trying futilely to build one here where socialism will never take root. Not as long as originalists draw breath. Not as long as we who believe in the origin, the founding of this great country, the language of our Declaration of Independence, the language of the Constitution of the United States, as long as we draw breath, we will protect and defend it and stop you from turning it into some sort of socialist banana republic. So how to move to Canada from the U.S. is trending. Make it happen. Leftist lunatics, make our country better and Canada worse. Move there. Take it over. Go ahead. And we'll see after a decade of your insanity how quickly you are. We'll see after probably 10 months how quickly you are scrambling to return to the United States. And I can only hope that if you do, if they move by the millions, if leftists outrage by the defense of life, by the defense of life, and that's all the Supreme Court did. They defended life, babies, from being slaughtered. If that triggers millions of leftists leaving the United States and going to Canada, I will pray for one thing. And that is that we build that great, big, beautiful wall that we were going to put on the southern border. We put it on the northern border so they can't get back in. Let them go, I say. Let them go. Hold the door to America's attic open and let them go up. And then lock it when they get there. Put the wall up on the northern world. Don't you find it curious, by the way, don't you find it just hilarious that the party and the ideology, the Democrat Party and the leftist ideology that drives it in general, the one that calls us racist for daring to want to seal our southern border, the one who calls us racist saying we don't want black and brown people coming into the United States, that's the only reason we oppose illegal immigration, or as they like to call it, undocumented workers or undocumented persons. 
they're always telling us we want to seal the southern border because of Mexicans and because of uh, Central Americans, Latin Americans, Latinos and Latinas primarily, but also black people from other countries, African migrants who are finding their way to uh, you know the, the 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 triangle countries of Central America and coming up north. We're racist because we want to seal the border. It's just to keep more black and brown people out, right? That's what the left tells us. That's what the Democrat Party tells us. Yet every time they threaten to leave the United States because they don't like some other conservative outcome in some case or some election, where do they threaten to move? To Mexico or to the great white north? And that is meant in every way that it sounds. They always choose, we're going to Canada. Why aren't you going to Mexico? Those of you who call us racist for simply wanting national sovereignty, when we're not even thinking about color, we're thinking about legality. Welcoming people from all around the world to the United States if they come here legally. The ones who call us racist for that mindset never want to go down and live with the brown people in Mexico or down in any of the Central American countries. Nope, nope, it's always north to the great white north. It's 9.30. We're going to get news. And on the flip side of the news, we're going to talk to uh, Josh Hammer, opinion editor of Newsweek, a research fellow with the Edmund Burke Foundation. He's got some great information and some great thoughts on uh, what happened in the Supreme Court on Friday. And not just what happened on Friday, but what happened on Thursday, too. Gun rights were affirmed as well. So we're going to get into that as we continue Always Right Radio on AM 1420 The Answer. Against the darkness of tyranny. Always Right Radio with Bob Fratz and The Answer. Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer, and online at alwaysright.us. Alwaysright.us. You want to check out today's top conservative news and views stories. They have been updated as of this morning. Check that out now. This is Mara Gay from The Atlantic on MSNBC. We like to pretend that our actions don't have consequences on others, but they do. And women in this country are not going to simply uh, sit back and accept this. They will do whatever they have to do uh, to exercise control over their own bodies and their own lives. They will do whatever they have to do. They don't have to accept this. We have heard a number of people in the last 72 hours on the left saying, we will not comply. We will defy the Supreme Court. What on earth does that mean? What are they willing to do? Joining us now to discuss the massive, monumental decision uh, that was handed out on Friday that completely obliterated the importance of the massive, monumental decision that was handed down by the court on Thursday uh, is Josh Hammer, opinion editor at Newsweek, research fellow with the Edmund Burke Foundation, syndicated columnist, and the host of the Josh Hammer Show podcast. Josh, good morning. Good to have you on the air here in Cleveland. How are you? I'm doing well. What a what a week. What a week. That's so great to be with you. 
And it's not over either. You know, we got a great decision uh, uh, yes. of, on on uh, with uh, Coach Joe Kennedy on religious liberty. We're going to talk about that too. We got to also talk about the upcoming uh, decision that's going to be made on West Virginia versus uh, uh, the United States and the United States' ability to essentially shut down uh, all of their. Um, uh, all of their uh, fossil fuel, including and especially their coal operations. We'll talk about that, too. But, Josh, obviously, it's all right now about Roe versus Wade and about Dobbs uh, versus uh, the Jackson Women's Health Center in Mississippi. Um, when you hear the left saying things like that, we will not comply. We are going to do whatever we have to do to be able to continue to get abortions. I mean, what are we talking about? Planned Parenthood just staying open and saying, scheduling appointments, bringing women in until what? Until police or uh, military forces come in and clear the place? What? Are we, I mean, are they willing to do that? What are they talking about? Yeah, it's a great question. It's something that I've thought about a lot over the past few days well as the rhetoric has increasingly just reached DEFCON 1 and a fever pitch of sorts. It's not I mean, it is not at all obvious what what the Biden administration, what far-left activists, what people mean when they say that they're not going to listen. I mean, there are, there are some instances, right? So I think back, of course, to the desegregation fights with Brown versus Board in 1954, and how President Eisenhower in the late 1950s famously sent in the troops to enforce desegregation in places like Little Rock, Arkansas. I mean, you know, in theory, I guess that is the model. In theory, that it's, in theory, it means sending in federal agents. And I guess, literally speaking, what it would mean in this particular factual context would be sending in federal agents to protect a certain wing of a Planned Parenthood facility from operating. But that just defies anyone's imagination. I mean, it's not going to happen. So it's just empty talk. It's political bluster. At this point, I think they're just trying to drive out their their base this fall, which, by the way, I think they're also going to fail on because the politics of abortion do not line up with the Democratic Party nearly as much as they think it does. But from my perspective, this is really just a lot of empty talk and bluster geared up towards this fall's midterm elections. I, think. Uh, I do want to talk about the the fall elections too in a second here, but let's uh, let me stay on this just from this standpoint. The one thing that I I did hear that I'm curious of as to your opinion about is they're looking at travel vouchers. The federal government talking, Kamala Harris mentioned this yesterday on CNN, or actually in response to somebody, so I don't know if she'd actually thought of it because I think she's too stupid to come up with her own ideas, but she just glommed on to what the, the interviewer, Dana Bash, said. But she said, what about the idea of the federal government paying for women to travel from places where they can't get abortions to places where they can? Apparently, neither one of them had ever heard of the Hyde Amendment. But then uh, also... Uh, in a separate interview, uh, Byron Donalds talked about the left's plan. Now, he's a Republican from Florida, but he talked about the left's plans to build clinics on federal lands, even tribal lands, where no state lays claim to those, so they can't be a state legislature banning abortion. So build clinics on federal lands and then give federal tax dollars, uh, or rather give uh, vouchers used with our tax dollars, paid for by our tax dollars, to fly women or have help them travel from states where they can't get abortion to these federal lands where they can. Is that possible, Josh? Well, it's possible to the extent that the very narrow legal question as to whether federal property, whether it's military base or Indian property, whether it's um, you know a Seminole reservation, Cherokee reservation, or whatnot, 
-hmm. It is true that the operative law on those plots of land is different than a normal part of a state. So the the the, the reach of the state legislature, if a state legislature is seeking to limit or perhaps simply outright ban abortion, it is not obvious that if the legislature can so neatly reach a federal military base. So, so when the Pentagon is kind of issuing some of these statements saying that we, and you know, some people have been kind of botching the headlines, but when they're saying that, oh, like we're not going to listen to the state phrase, first of all, that obviously that's morally egregious. I mean, on the substantive underlying issue of abortion, but from a narrow legal perspective, they're not wrong. I mean, I haven't closely studied the question, but it is simply true that a state cannot simply dictate laws for federal military bases that are better on their state. Having said that, the broader and the more important takeaway here is that their desperation, the less desperation to keep abortion, not just safe, legal, and rare, not just to keep it uh, the way that Bill Clinton said at the nomenclature in the 1990s, but to keep it widespread, available to all, and as an affirmative good. That is how they view it. It's really just satanic. I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, their reaction to this case has really caught me off guard, and I had pretty low expectations for how they would take this. The overarching thing here going on over the past 20, 30 years, but I thought about this a lot over this past weekend, the left has just gotten so used to winning. They have gotten so used to winning presidential elections. They've gotten so used to winning monumental cases at the U.S. Supreme Court so that when a Republican comes out of nowhere to win the presidential election, like, like Donald Trump, they say it was stolen by the Russians. When the conservatives finally win a major U.S. Supreme Court case, they say it's illegitimate, burn all down. They've forgotten what losing looks like, and they have lost the humility to be able to accept a loss. So I think that is from a 35,000-foot altitude view. That's really what's actually going on right now. That is a really, really good point. I, I don't think they know. And, and that's why they react the way that they do. We're talking to Josh Hammer, opinion editor at Newsweek. He's uh, also the host of the Josh Hammer Show podcast. Um, that, I, I was kind of joking about this. I'm not joking, but just making fun of them, that one of the trending searches over the weekend on Google was how to move to Canada from the United States. They're looking it up. You know, oftentimes the celebrity class has uh, said if George Bush wins re-election, if Donald Trump wins, you know, we're moving to Canada. They never do. Uh, but now they're actually at least Googling it, trying to see if they can make travel arrangements to make that happen. And this is simply because they cannot stand losing. I think you're right. They don't know what this feels like because you know, it, it's hard, I think, for them to accept that perhaps there is a majority of Americans who disagree with their worldview, who disagree with their socialist fantasies, who disagree with their culture culture of death, one that they really, truly support. Uh, and uh, the idea that somebody in the United States might find fault with their thinking makes them want to leave the United States. Isn't that astounding? It really is astounding. And I think the two cases, I mean, obviously there's been these incredible religious liberty cases, too, Carson versus Macon and May, and then the Coach Kennedy case for Washington State, which was a fantastic victory for uh, First Liberty Institute, I should mention, which was the religious liberty nonprofit law firm where I actually used to be of counsel. Uh, so congratulations to my colleagues on that incredible win. But focusing on the other two major wins, the Dobbs abortion case and this Bruin case, this remarkable Second Amendment case out of New York, I think another thing that's worth that's worth noting here because it's something else I've been thinking about over this past weekend, because, I mean, these are two iconic culture war issues, obviously, guns and abortion. This is kind of, you know, 1980s culture war 101, right? But one thing, because I'm a conservative, of course, and when I talk to my conservative friends, we strongly disagree with the left approach to these questions, to increase calls for gun control and to legalize and widespread abortion access. But most of my conservative friends at least understand 
they understand what the average median liberal progressive leaning American is thinking when he or she purports to espouse a certain policy like that. The same simply cannot be said of the other way around. Most people on the left, they do not engage with Republicans or conservatives on social media. They do not read conservative political commentary. They simply think that if you oppose gun control, you want murdered children. And, and, and if you oppose abortion, it just means that you want women popping out five kids, cooking in the kitchen all day. They're simply incapable of grasping what we actually think on these issues. And I find that a little frustrating, but it just speaks of this remarkable echo chamber that they have built from themselves, soup to nuts, from the media ecosystem to the higher education ecosystem. They literally just live in an entirely self-contained bubble. And when the institutions of our constitutional republic breach that bubble, they are humbled beyond belief. Josh, so let's take, even though I could go individual on each of these and would love to, collectively, this series of decisions handed down by the court, the New York gun case, uh, you know, of course, they like the idea of people actually having to go and plead with a court to explain why they feel like they need to carry a weapon for their own defense. They declared that to be unconstitutional, which it is. You take that, you take Roe, you take the religious liberty cases, and and it's got the left apoplectic. So they're talking about all kinds of things that they had talked about when they uh, when when Biden was was cast as the role of president too. Abolish the filibuster, pack the court, nine, eleven, thirteen, whatever it is you've got to do, uh, do something, declare the statehood of of DC and, and Puerto Rico, so they get four more far left votes in the Senate every time. Um, this is their new call. This is their new, we've got to return to that and make those things happen. How likely, how possible is it that they could accomplish any of the above? Extremely unlikely. I mean, they're not going to be able to pass the court. There's, there's just no way whatsoever. I mean, obviously, this is, a, this is a 50-50 Senate. They cannot afford to lose a single vote. Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema are not going to vote for that. And it's entirely possible that other other red state or purple state Democrats in the U.S. Senate wouldn't go for that as well. I mean, it's not obvious to me that even someone like Raphael Warnock in Georgia would would go for that, given his you know very competitive, presumptive race this fall against Herschel Walker. So the votes simply are not there for that. The Senate also has enough institutionalists remaining. They're increasingly few and far between on the Democratic side, but someone like Joe Manchin has been around the block. He's been there for a while now. So the votes just simply are not there to pass the court. So I, I, I also file that under the category of just political blusters to try to drive out the votes and try to staunch the losses for this fall. Well, there you go. Then that was going to be the next question. Uh, we're talking to Josh Hammer, opinion editor at Newsweek, uh, the host of the Josh Hammer Show podcast and a lot of other titles as well. So, you know, I have to admit, I have given it some thought over the course of the last couple of days. Um I'm worried a little bit. I, I, I kind of feel like if the elections are allowed to be free and fair, if there isn't, you know, the next sub-variant or for some other reason they declare that we can't have regular elections and we got to do national voting and uh, unrequested ballots being sent and so forth, all, you know, uh, vote by mail, uh, that there's going to be a red tsunami. Uh, everybody agrees with that. But I have to say, the fire that they show because of these, uh, uh, because of these uh, decisions by the court is is dare I say unprecedented, but they are so livid, they're just screaming, vote, 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 getting every woman out there. And I feel like when they're desperate, like they were desperate to stop Donald Trump, they'll pull any shenanigans they have to to win votes. We saw it in 2020. So do we have any reason to think then that, that this tsunami that we all kind of previously had thought was going to happen might be curtailed a little bit? 
Yeah, I, I, look, I, I mean, this Supreme Court term, and I'm a court junkie, I'm a lawyer by background, I've been following the court for a long time. Mm-hmm. This court term has been by far the most epochal, most transformative, most dynamic court term of my lifetime. And for even a hardened judicial pessimist like myself, someone who just got so accustomed, so habituated to constantly losing on major case after major case, this term is something of a wake-up call. And it really does make you wonder as to whether those of us who said that the courts were a one-way ratchet that could never be won, whether we were perhaps just a little, little mistaken. I'm not sure. That's going to be a that's going to be an occasion for a lot of kind of deep contemplation this, this summer. But, you know, looking ahead, I mean, there's, an, there's a major affirmative action case on the court next term. I mean, the, the constitutionality of race-conscious affirmative action admissions programs are, are, are going up to the court next term in, in, in these twin cases out of Harvard and the University of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I mean, it, it's really funny. I mean, last week after that Bruin case out of New York State, that incredible Second Amendment case, and I just want to emphasize is that this is the first time in the history of the Supreme Court in the Bruin case that the Supreme Court clarified that the term bear arms actually means something, that it's not just keeping arms, but also bearing arms, that meaning that you can actually, you do have an individual right to carry a firearm outside the home. It's, it's a remarkable decision, honestly. It's been so overshadowed by Dobbs. But I, I might have been a little premature in my column um, over the weekend, I said that this was Justice Thomas's kind of career-defining majority opinion. It's a magisterial 60-plus page opinion. But, you know, I predict next term, if they actually do overturn affirmative action, that Clarence Thomas would get that majority opinion as well. So we'll see if I was premature. But I, I think I speak for many conservatives when I say that I'm not quite tired of winning just quite yet. <laughs> Neither am I. And, and I'm glad you brought up Clarence Thomas. My last question for you, uh, Josh, is going to be this. You know, there was a six to three majority on Dobbs and five to four, essentially, on the actual, you know, uh, declaration of Roe being overturned. Why are they focusing on only one? All of their hatred has gone to Clarence Thomas, and including African-American, prominent African-Americans. Lori Lightfoot in Chicago literally said from a podium, F, and she said the word Clarence Thomas. You know, Samuel L. Jackson going ballistic with uh, with Uncle Tom Clarence or Uncle Clarence. I mean, we can we can talk about the obvious racial disparity when it comes to abortions, uh, you know, from a... Uh, uh, you know, from a, a proportional standpoint, far, far more African-Americans are aborted every year, African, African-American babies than, than non. Um, why are they focusing so much on Clarence Thomas? And why is this so much about race when it literally is applied across the board? You know, Bob, my girlfriend asked me the exact same question last night. She asked me literally this question effectively verbatim. Justin Thomas is the greatest living American in the country. He is an American hero. Uh, I, I did not personally clerk for Justice Thomas. I've been blessed to be friends with dozens of his law clerks over the years, including the Fifth Circuit judge that I clerked for, a, my law school mentor. I mean, I, I've, I've gone to know the Clarence Thomas clerk family very well. And what I can say about Justice Thomas, uh, I, again, I did not clerk for him personally, so I, I have limited you know, inside information or anything. But what I can say with him from certainly from a reasonably close outside perspective is that going back to Anita Hill, going all the way back to what the Senate Democrats tried to pull out, Joe Biden and all of that nonsense with with the false uh, accusations of sexual harassment in the workplace in his 1991 Supreme Court confirmation hearing. All of this vitriol, these defamations, what Clarence Thomas referred to in that very hearing as a quote-unquote high-tech lynching, it just continues to motivate him. It fuels his fire. 
But the reality is, and he basically said this actually in the documentary that came out in the year 2020. It was a great documentary entitled Created Equal. It was uh, directed by Michael Pack. I would strongly encourage listeners to check it out. It's a wonderful documentary about Justice Thomas. What he basically says in this is that he grew up dirt poor in the Jim Crow South. Dirt poor. English was not even his first language. I and mean, he's just such a remarkable story, Justice Thomas. When he was growing up and into his adulthood, he was saying that conservative Southerners, they were never the problem. The problem for his entire life has been liberals, usually white liberals, but oftentimes these black liberals like Lori Lightfoot and Samuel L. Jackson, because hell hath no theory like a liberal who sees a conservative black man, a black man who is willing to think for himself, who is willing to think outside and free himself from the proverbial plantation that the modern Democratic Party apparatus has put in place for the past 50, 60 years. And they just expect every black man and black woman in America to just march in line and to just accept the fact they have to be good Democratic Party voters, good Al Sharpton supporters, you name it. So whether it's Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court, whether it's Candace Owens in the political commentary arena, they just flip out. It's really disgusting. It is a transparently racist double standard. But the only silver lining here is that it just only fuels Justice Thomas and just makes him double down his convictions. He, he is the most principled man in America, and he will never waver for a second as he detects this commitment. What a phenomenal uh, overview of Justice Thomas. I really appreciate that, especially as you say you didn't click for him, but you know a lot of people who did, and uh, you have some insights there that I think are really appreciated. Josh Hammer, uh, opinion editor at Newsweek. Again, he's a research fellow at the Ann Burke Foundation. He's a lawyer, he's a columnist, and he's the host of the Josh Hammer Show podcast. Josh, I really appreciate you coming on. Great discussion of this very important information. Hopefully we can have you back. I would love that. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much, Josh. Josh Hammer joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 9.57. So uh, bad news is this segment and this hour is gone. Good news. The next hour is guest-free for you. So this is a great chance for you to be heard on everything that happened on Thursday, on Friday, over the weekend, yesterday with the Justice, uh, or excuse me, the uh, Coach Joe Kennedy decision by the court, uh, and more to come. So make sure you dial us up now. We'll get you in line. We'll get you on the radio next hour, 216-901-0945. Always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now, nine minutes past 10 o'clock on this Tuesday. Normally, it would be cursing out time if you just turn the radio on. I'm sorry to disappoint. Pete is in uh, Colorado today working, uh, doing his day job, doing the job for which he gets paid rather than the one he does for free, which is entertain and enlighten us each and every Tuesday. Pete will be with us tomorrow, same time, same bat channel. That'll be uh, 
uh, Wednesday's edition. But for now, it is Tuesday, the 28th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2022, and we are guest-free in hour number two, so plenty of opportunities for you to dial. Do it now, 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. If you thought I was kidding... Uh, when I talked about the uh, Google search trend over the weekend, uh, one of the top trends was how to move to Canada from the United States. Forbes has an entire article on it from yesterday. Forbes.com. Escape from the U.S. How to move to Canada. Now I want you to ponder this, what the left wants you to believe. All right? This is, this is like really kind of funny. Escape from the U.S., the left wants you to think that the United States is so bad moving toward fascism, they claim, because of these recent court decisions. They want you to believe that the U.S. is so bad people need to flee it to get somewhere else, preferably to a socialist place like Canada. And Canada is becoming more socialist by the day with every decision made by Justin Trudeau and his party. But that's not the place I want to go with this. What I find hilarious about it is, these are the same people, the American left, who are telling us to stop trying to demonize all of the migrants who are trying to get into the United States to pursue a better life. All of these these caravans filled with people from third world, what Donald Trump would call blank hole countries, deserve the chance to come to the U.S. and have a better life. So on one hand, they're telling you, open the southern border and let the people come in. And then on the other hand, they're telling you, open the northern border and let us the hell out. Ponder that. I mean, is there any consistency to the thought process of these people? First of all, they're a death cult. Prove me wrong. Second of all, they couldn't be more mind-numbingly stupid if they tried to. Forbes magazine, how to move to Canada from the U.S. It's a question many people started asking as soon as the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last week, with Google searches for the topic how to move to Canada spiking. The phrase how to become a Canadian citizen also spiked 550% in the hour after the decision came out. This isn't the first time it happened during the 2016 election. So many Americans were looking into how to move out of the U.S. that the Canadian Citizenship and Immigration website crashed. Canada's appeals are obvious. The nature, the livable cities, the publicly funded health care. You know, by the way, this is me now, This uh, parting from the Forbes language here. The publicly funded health care that has Canadian citizens coming to the United States to get procedures done because they can't wait nine months to see a doctor? Yeah, that's the system. Okay, just throwing that out there. The diversity, the lower crime rates, lower freedoms. Also helping drive the recent interest, abortion is legal in Canada, but there are downsides too. Canada's cost of living is higher than the U.S. The taxes are not for the weak-willed. The more money you make, the more income tax you will pay. It's colder than much of the U.S. Still interested in moving to Canada from the U.S.? Here's a quick rundown of what you need to know. And they proceed to offer all of the tips on how to become a Canadian. And I just think it's cute and it's funny. And it's also pointless because they never, ever make good on their threats. 
If they did, our country would be a better place for it. I ask you now, would this country be better with fewer leftists in it? And I'm talking about the same leftists that are responsible for the massive spike in violent crime across this country that's impacting your neighborhood and mine and and suburban neighborhoods and inner city neighborhoods and everywhere else. Everywhere else. The left is responsible for that. The left is responsible for the the five, six dollars a gallon of gas, depending on where you live in this country that you're paying for right now. The left is responsible for the destruction of the American economy and your own personal budget through inflationary numbers we have not seen in over 40 years. The left is responsible for the culture war that is turning young children into sexualized beings, forcing them to declare whether they are male or female or if they want to switch by the time they're nine. The left is responsible for parading half-naked, deviant, perverted, drag king-slash-queens in front of your children, calling it story hour. The left is responsible for taking those kids to parades in which deviancy, sex toys are brandished, sex outfits are on display, and your kids are supposed to wave rainbow flags as they go by going, yay! As if it were a Disney parade. And come to think of it, now that Disney has become what Disney has become, it is a Disney parade. If the left took itself, its deviant culture, its socialist policies, its socialist economy, its high taxation, its government control over the people's every little decision, if they took all of that north of our border, how much better would this country be? I mean, honestly, I look at things like this and... Part of me just laughs and says, yeah, you lunatics, you you always promise to leave. First of all, you're racist as all get out because you never promise to go south. You never promise to go to a predominant a Hispanic country. You never do. It's always north. And I, and I get amused by that. But, but i got to tell you, sometimes it just makes me fantasize about how great it could be here if they were gone. I'm not even kidding. And I'm not suggesting secession, and I'm not suggesting, you know, that we, uh, you know, a lot of people have said this, by the way, you know, just go ahead and make half of the country, uh, you know, socialist and blue, let them form their own new uh, America, and we'll continue with ours, and we'll see which one lasts longer. I would love to do that. Uh, that's never going to happen. I'm not calling for that to happen, but I'll tell you what, it is one thing whenever they see the Supreme Court actually obeying the Constitution, how irate they are. Because they don't believe in the Constitution. Do you understand that part of this? They don't believe in the Constitution. They're livid when people and the Supreme Court actually read the Constitution and come to find out that, yes, indeed, it does say in the Second Amendment that an American citizen's right to keep and bear arms, not keep them locked in a closet, but bear them, carry them for protection. The Constitution says that. And the, and the Supreme Court says, yeah, it does. So, yeah, in New York, you have to allow people to carry their... And they, go, they go apoplectic over this. They go apoplectic when they actually see the court following the Constitution. And when the court looks and says, you know, that abortion, that constitutional right that the 73 court decided uh, was, was there to have an abortion? It's not. Nowhere does the Constitution talk about abortion. Nowhere does the Constitution talk about ending life for the sake of convenience. Nowhere does it provide a constitutional right. And they're like, well, well, but what about democracy? 
you know, this court is undermining democracy. No, leftists. No, lunatics. No, you shallow thinkers. The court just affirmed democracy. For I ask you, what is more democratic than telling the people in every single state to make this decision for themselves by electing legislatures that will enact the will of the people? That's what democracy is all about. Now we here in Ohio get to choose who is in our state house, who is in the Ohio Senate, and then telling them when they get there to do our bidding, to do our will. And if we want abortion to be wide open and, and on demand without apology until the moment of birth, and even maybe even a few minutes after, then we elect legislators that say so. But if we decide we want abortion to be outlawed after, for example, a fetal heartbeat is detected, indicating that there is another heart, indicating that it is in another body, indicating that there now are two people that need to be considered in such equations, not just the mother, but the separate living heart-beating child... And we don't want abortions to be allowed after that point? Well, then we elect legislators who say so, and governors who agree and sign. That is the very definition of democracy. You get to decide. You, the people of every state. What the court did here, didn't they didn't strip away constitutional rights. They protected them. They underscored the right of the people to make these decisions for themselves by way of electing their own representatives to cast votes on their behalf. That is how it's supposed to work. Why is this concept so foreign to the American left? Joanne is in Twinsburg. Joanne, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Good morning, Bob. You know, I've heard you say it on Prager, on your own show. I wholeheartedly agree with you about them being the party of death. Did you hear our buddy Sandy Cortez, as Tucker calls her, <clears throat> over Which the time? weekend talk? Hmm? Which time? Over when, the when weekend, she, when yeah. she, pardon me? No, no, I'm just saying, yes, I've heard a lot of things she said. Which one are you well, referring to? Well, I mean, to? did but... you hear her over the weekend say that they have pro-choice people in the Democratic Party? And we need to get rid of these people. They are not pro-choice. You are absolutely right. They are pro-death. <laughs> well, I, you know you know what I did hear her say? I didn't hear that exact language, yeah. Joanne, but you know what I yeah. did hear her say, and I thought was really cute, kind of cute and amusing? When she was uh, on the little speaker there, and it's really poor audio quality, so I'm not going to play it, but when yeah. she was at one of these rallies screaming about uh, the Supreme Court decision and about how they need to get out in the streets and fight, 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 which yeah. also is amusing, by the way, because they tried to impeach Donald Trump for saying, let's fight for, uh, you yeah. know, for, for, the, for, the, for the Constitution. We're not even going to go there. Right. That whole but, but, but the cute part about it was what she screamed was, we were born for this moment. She was telling all of the women out there protesting, we were born to be here right now. And I'm thinking yeah. to myself, yeah, and the reason there aren't other people there opposing you is because you didn't allow them to be born because yeah. you wanted them aborted. She literally is bragging about yeah, her yeah. own birth and the reason you know, why she was born. Your mother was born. allowed to make the choice, but, you know, nobody else was. <laughs> 
You know, yeah. I mean, it, it just, and the other thing I just wanted to say really quickly is everyone out there remember and think of Gianno Caldwell's son, brother oh, who yeah. was killed over the weekend in Chicago. Awful. A uh, guy from Fox News. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just breaks your heart. 18 year old kid getting old. ready to go to college. Yeah, and and there was a there was a young there was like a five a five month old a five month old five baby month that was old, also yeah. killed in the crossfire yeah. and in this carnage that is Chicago one of the strictest gun control cities in the country. No, you're but you know, you're right. Kind of keep that in your thoughts today. Yeah, that's yeah. Sad, sad. Th- thank you, Joe, and I appreciate the phone call. And I'll say this about that, by the way. Uh, while they had nine children, I started to say nine children. This this child who was shot and killed is 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 uh, the ninth of the children and. Uh, General Caldwell is the is the oldest of the of the of the group. Um, it's it's important to us because he's known because he's on Fox News and because you know we can put a an identifying face, I guess, to it. Uh, and that's a good enough reason to pray and a good enough reason to be outraged at the ongoing carnage in Chicago, where they simply do not have any interest in the quote unquote Black Lives that they claim matter. Because dozens and dozens and dozens of them are shot every single weekend in Chicago, uh, with uh, an untold number of them, you know, killed from those gunshot wounds every weekend. The 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 lives are almost always black, over ninety percent black. The shooters are all over ninety percent black. Black lives don't matter in Chicago. Black lives only matter if a police officer is involved in a a lethal altercation. But the, the, the gentleman from Fox News, it's his family here, and that's what made it news. And I should point out, his loss is no greater than any of the other losses, but it's profound because he's a public figure and he's on Fox News. And if that's what it takes for people to understand the carnage and to get outraged at it, I hope it happens. That's why he's been on every show, through his own grief. He's crying on air. Um, and I think he's trying to call attention to something that is bigger than just him and his lost younger brother. He he is trying to call attention to all of the younger brothers. Does that make sense to all of the kids and the people who are being shot and killed in the uh, uh, you know in the in the unchecked violent world of the city of Chicago, overseen by uh, by Lori Lightfoot, who has no care or interest whatsoever in any of it. All she cares about is her own political ambitions, her own agenda, her own LGBTQ agenda, and more. So, yeah, thank you, Joanne, for that quick one. Uh, quick time out here. It's 1024. We'll come right back on Always Right Radio AM 1420. The Answer. Ten twenty six. You know, Joanne referenced something that she heard me say on the Prager show, and she heard me has heard me say, me say on this program as well. If you don't know what she meant, it bears repeating. The opposite of life is not choice. Look in any dictionary, look in any thesaurus, and look under antonyms, which means opposite. The opposite of life is not choice. The opposite of life is death. So when it comes to the issue of abortion, you are either pro-life or you are its opposite. You are pro-death. There is no in-between. You're pro-life or you're pro-dead babies. Own that. Decide which describes you and own that. Don't try to obfuscate by trying to say, no, 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 I'm for choice. No, no, no. It's not a, there's not a, an in-between. It's life or death. TJ's in Cleveland next. Hey, TJ, go ahead. Yeah, you know, Bob, the left always comes up with these complicated ways of handling a simple problem. 
you know, if they want to move to Canada, here's the simple solution. Claim political asylum. Uh, just like them poor people in Cuba, they threw their rafts and inner tubes into the water to head to Florida. What a glorious sight it would see Lake Erie filled with rafts and inner tubes of libtards heading north across the lake. <laughs> and just claim political asylum. And you know what? This could even open up a new business here for the Port of Cleveland. Uh, we could ferry these people across, you know, make a little money. But, but, but how can Canada refuse them? I mean, if we're so bad, we're so terrible, you claim political asylum, they got to take you in or they're going to look like hypocrites. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, if you think about what Canada is, Canada has become a socialist country anyway, and uh, as such, they would uh, not have any problem, you know, ignoring their own borders. You know, they don't have borders. It's got to be an open border society, just like they're trying to create for us, not Canada, but the liberals are trying to create for our own southern border. Uh, it's an open border. You can come and go as you please. That's what true uh, socialism is like. You know, there's no rule of law. There is no hard and fast uh, uh, sovereignty. You just let people come and go as they please. And just as long as they know when they get there, they're under the thumb of the government. They're under the heavy thumb of the government rather than free to do whatever they wish. And I want you to know, Bob, a mutual friend of ours, big-hearted man he is, Jim from West Park, he's got his little fishing boat, and he told me this morning he would be more than willing, you know, to take take them over for free across the lake. It's a good man right there. That's a generous yes, man. Is. Yeah, let's yes, help yes. everybody. You know what I mean? Yes. Seriously, it does. It helps. They hate it here so much. They hate the freedom and the, uh, you know, the Constitution and the, uh, all of the, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, free uh, democratic republic that this our founding fathers gifted to us. They hate it so much, so they get out. They don't have to be oppressed by this free country. And then we win as well because we have gotten rid of those who hate this free country. So I think they're happy. They go to socialism. We're happy they're gone. I think it's a win-win. And Jim, is he really is the milk of human kindness. Yeah, and you know it, and I know it. He's, like I said, a mutual friend of ours. Yes, he is. He's I a good man. He's a good man, a and I love the idea. But get that boat in the water. Get that boat in the water and stock it up with leftists. Let him go. All right, thank you, TJ. Good to hear from you. 1030, we'll take our news now. Come right back. More calls. Let's dial it up. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Always right radio on AM 1420 DNC. Celebrating 100 years in Cleveland. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Rolling onward, 1039. Always right radio on AM 1420. The Answer. You really haven't checked out the page yet today, have you? Trending now on alwaysright.us. Alwaysright.us. Take a look at it for yourself. Lead stories of the day. Obviously, the tremendous decision uh, on uh, Friday with Dobbs, this isn't just a, hey, we won, we already know it won, but it's an analysis, a terrific piece on the publicdiscourse.com, the magnificence of the Dobbs ruling, and more specifically on the language used in the in the uh, majority opinion written by Sam Alito. Read that. It's at the top under uh, the Today's Top Stories at alwaysright.us. Under that, progressives launch resort to racial slurs toward to- uh, Justice Thomas. This one actually was written by uh, Josh Hammer, our guest, our last guest. He wrote a terrific piece on uh, Justice Clarence Thomas as the greatest living American. 
But under that, you're going to find Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot making profane attack on SCOTUS at Pride event, saying blank Clarence Thomas. Yes, it was the F word. I've got another piece on... Uh, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. The one I just quoted was not Josh Hammers. He wrote his own. The one I uh, just wrote was Darvio Moro's uh, piece on the racist attacks by the American left on Justice Thomas. Check that out. The Gateway Pundit has exclusive footage of ballot traffickers, otherwise known as mules. You remember the movie. Dinesh D'Souza's 2,000 mules. This is a different This is different footage. This has been presented by gubernatorial candidate in Arizona, Kerry Lake. Footage revealing ballot traffickers forging signatures and trafficking uh, ballots. And the Attorney General in Arizona, Bergovich, uh, Bernovich, knew it was happening and did nothing about it. You're going to want to hear that or see that. Also, the video of what I just described to Josh Hammer, AOC, when he, or I'm sorry, I described this to uh, 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 Joanne. AOC, Alexandria Damasio-Cortez, screaming into her little speaker in front of hundreds of uh, supporters. We were born in this moment for a reason. We were born to be here right now. And that is to oppose other people being born. You'll see that video. 46 bodies found in a truck carrying migrants in San Antonio. We've been t- you've been hearing that story in our news. You can read about it there as well. The left thinks that they're going to have a big turnaround in votes in November because of the Supreme Court decisions. Meanwhile, more than one million, according to the AP, voters have switched to the GOP from Democrat in recent months. This is a huge warning signal to the Democrats. The justices cited another uh, very important decision, which we talked about with the, the high school football coach, Joe Kennedy, who simply wanted to pray on the field after games, was told he wasn't allowed. The Supreme Court said, yes, you are. New York struck down the law permitting illegal aliens to vote in, a judge in New York, rather, uh, permitting uh, illegal aliens to vote in local elections, and pro-abortion protesters in L.A. throwing explosive fireworks at police in an attempt to uh, break down uh, the, uh, uh, the you know, what am I trying to say, the, uh, the uh, resistance, I guess, to their, to their radical uh, attacks and uh, to stop arrests. So anyway, all of those stories are up now right at, right now at alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. Now, I didn't get into this with Josh Hammer, and I want to get into it now because it's important. There is another Supreme Court decision. We're not done. All of this winning, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not done winning. Josh Hammer said he's not done winning either. And I want to share this with you because it's important. This is a blockbuster decision that should be coming probably today. I don't know. Uh, maybe later on this morning. Believe it or not, Roe versus Wade may not be the most dramatic decision. The most dramatic decision might be West Virginia versus the EPA. Why? Well, here's why. Because it could literally upend how our entire government works. Now, this is not hyperbole when I say that. I'm not exaggerating. This could completely overturn the way this country is run, because it is run in many ways by unelected organizations, given powers that the people should have the decision uh, you know, as to whether or not they are given. Let me, give you, let me give you the specifics. West Virginia versus the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, case before the court asks whether important policies that impact the lives of all Americans should be made by unelected D.C. bureaucrats or rather by Congress, which is the people, because the Congress represents you and me. We choose who's in the Congress. This Supreme Court could well decide that ruling by executive agency fiat is no longer acceptable. 
The case involves the Clean Power Plan, which was adopted under Obama to fight climate change. Now, the Clean Power Plan was estimated to cost as much as $33 billion per year and would have completely reordered the nation's power grid. The state of West Virginia, joined by two coal companies and others, sued the EPA, arguing that plan was an abuse of their power. Now, if the court decides in favor of West Virginia, the court could begin to rein in the vast powers of the alphabet agencies in D.C. that run our lives and return the power to the legislators whom we elect to create, you know, legislation. Liz Peake wrote about this on Fox. Just as the Supreme Court ruled in Roe v. Wade that abortion laws are more appropriately left up to people's elected representatives, it may decide in West Virginia versus the EPA that Congress and not federal agencies should write our laws. I hope this isn't in the weeds. This is very important. All right, A decision that puts Congress in charge would stall environmental rules intended to replace fossil fuels with renewable energy. Legislators if they were to be back in the driver's seat of this, would have to debate and go to the public with the consequences and costs of regulations that are now adopted with little buy-in from the public. To further their climate agenda, and again, this is Liz Peek in Fox News, not me, to further their climate agenda, Democrats have been able to hide the full-end price tag of abandoning oil and gas as our main energy sources, by creating tax subsidies for renewables. If you and I, consumers, had to pay the real cost of wind and solar power, we might not be so enthusiastic about what Biden calls his great transition. I don't want to hear any more of these lies. Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? No, we would... That didn't work well. He said, no, we would stop it. When it comes to the gas prices, uh, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place that, God willing, when it's over, will be stronger and the world will be stronger and less relying on fossil fuels when this is over. But the case goes far beyond just environmental regulations. Now, this is what I want you to hear. A ruling in favor of West Virginia by the Supreme Court, which could come down today, would reverse a decades-long trend in which Congress has handed off to federal agencies decisions that our legislators either refuse or are unable to take up. Decisions they don't want to make. The usurping of authority in D.C. or by D.C. bureaucracies began with the New Deal in the 1930s, when Roosevelt led the way by creating the TVA, the WPA, and a total of 69 other offices and executive branch agencies that basically did his bidding without congressional approval. The process occasioned Democrat Al Smith to once complain that he was, quote, submerged in a bowl of alphabet soup. Well, we're still in it today. Restricting the power of the alphabet soup authorities might require that our representatives and senators actually, you know, get up off of their arses, get out of vacations, and do their jobs, allowing less time for posturing and passing pointless dead-on-arrival bills. They might have to show up more than half the days in the year, and actually do their jobs. But moreover, if West Virginia wins this case in front of the Supreme Court, it would derail the ambitions of Biden, who won no significant majority in Congress, appears incapable of working across the aisle, but plans to completely overhaul the American energy industry. 
the way America powers itself. This would stop that, potentially, right in its tracks. In addition to broad environmental rules that might come under new scrutiny if this uh, uh, court decision goes our way, the people's way, subsequent lawsuits might challenge other labor laws, or uh, might challenge labor laws, rather, written by the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, consumer protection edicts from the CFPB, and regulations put in place by the, wait for it, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. If West Virginia wins, the precedent will be set, the statement will be made by the court, that laws must be written by legislators, and legislators in the Congress are chosen by the people, that laws cannot just be handed down as edicts from unelected alphabet soup agencies. And that includes the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The NLRB, and most importantly, as we talked about, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. uh, But initially, that's the most important thing. The ruling would deep-six Biden's ambition to kill off the coal industry, which is why West Virginia, the second biggest coal mining state after Wyoming, brought this suit, along with a couple of uh, mining companies. Like Obama, Biden wants to shut down our fossil fuel industries that provide cheap, plentiful, and reliable energy and are the envy of the world. Build Back Better, his plan that would have incorporated $550 billion in programs aimed at curtailing emissions, included significant portions of Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal. And now, this has, this has the potential, this court decision has a potential to stop all of it in its tracks. The Green, green New Deal, its baby, or its piecemeal uh, push by the uh, alphabet agencies, all of it would be undone if the court goes our way. So as, as impactful and monumental as the Roe decision on Friday was, it might not be the most monumental in this session, much less forever. West Virginia versus the EPA could be bigger and longer-lasting and more consequential because it would literally upend how our government works. It literally would force Congress to do all of the things that the EPA currently decides, that the CDC currently decides that the NLRB currently decides, that the FDA currently decides, Congress would be in control. And guess who controls the Congress? You do. And that's why this result, this opinion, might be the biggest and most important one of all of them. 1050, we'll talk about it. 216 Right back after this. Huge, huge ramifications in that Supreme Court decision still to come. Hopefully announced maybe today. We'll see. 216-901-0945, Let's go to Frank in Brook Park. Hey, Frank, you're on AM 1420. The answer, good morning, go right ahead. Thank you. Your guest, Robert Wildgate, he gave nothing but a superb chronicle of the Roe v. Wade fraud. He gave us all a two-and-a-half-hour seminar for all pro-life humans. I mean, it was superb. I've yes, been involved a long time myself. 
I listened to all but the last twenty minutes of it because of uh, where I got because I was on the road yesterday and I listened to it via the app and uh, that's why I said this morning when I came in how blessed I am and we are to have people like Rob and his guest you know his co-host if you will Dave Zanotti because the two of them really did it was like it was like a college lecture it was information that everybody needed to have to truly understand this thing including me I thought I knew everything he had so well put down it's a chronicle. It's one of those superb, unique chronicles, like uh, Dr. Jack Wilkie and his wife Barbara of Cincinnati were the great pro-life leaders in Ohio. May they both rest in peace. But it was superb. Any time you want to have the best of Bob Fraud, I mean, not Bob Fraud, excuse me, of Bob Fraud, <laughs> excuse my word. That's all right. Uh, you, you can put him on. Uh, it was two and a half hours tremendous for all of us human beings that want to know because he brought me up to date again on things I knew and forgot. So thank you, Bob. <laughs> you got it. Bob well, that's God bless you, man. I want to get to hear him more often. Thank you. I'm going to tell you, thank you for the call. I appreciate it, Frank. I'm going to tell you something about that. This is almost divine intervention, providence. Seriously. I would like to claim that when I was going to have to be off yesterday, as I, I moved, uh, I was a furniture moving man yesterday, moving my daughter back to Hillsdale, um, I would like to claim that, hey, um, the court just made the decision on Friday, I want to put Rob and Dave on in my place so they can talk about the 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 constitutional law. They can talk about Roe and, and what really was said. They can talk about uh, you know the history of, of that case, talk about Dobbs with information and education, uh, legal information, and constitutional analysis that nobody else can really provide. I would love to be able to say that I made such a brilliant move by choosing them to host in my stead yesterday. But I didn't. I knew I was going to have to be taking my daughter and moving her stuff back to Hillsdale about a month ago. And I texted Rob Walgate about a month ago saying, hey, I'm going to be off on the 27th. Can you uh, can you host a show for me? Because I kind of rotate between my guys. I got Carson out. I got Rob Walgate, and who oftentimes brings Dave Zanotti as co-host on uh, American Policy uh, Roundtable Radio. Uh, and uh, Khalid Namar. And I, and I generally rotate between those three guys, or four, if you will. And so it was just time. And I, about a month ago, I said, Rob, uh, would you, would you be interested in hosting the show on the 27th? He said, yep, put me down. So I booked that a month ago, almost a month ago anyway. And it just so happened that, that it, it was the, the next show after Roe versus Wade was, was overturned. Um, I would love to have been here to do the show yesterday myself because I wanted to get in so many things have, you know, broke during my show. I had an hour to talk about it last week, about 45 minutes on Friday, but not in nearly as much depth as I wanted to. And I wanted to do the show yesterday, but it was not possible. So, of course, I had that guest scheduled, and it just worked out perfectly. Can I say that? It literally worked out perfectly that Rob and Dave Zanotti were on the air today. That's not to say Pete wouldn't have done an amazing job or Khalid or myself, but I'll tell you what, I'm very glad and I almost think it was divine intervention that God said we need somebody to really explain all of this at the level and in the detail that uh, that Rob and Dave were able to do. And so we're going we're gonna to give them that spot, and that's exactly what happened. So 
Thank you once again to Rob Allgate and Dave Zanotti for an amazing show yesterday. I enjoyed it, and I know a lot of other people did as well. Coming up after the top of the hour, we're going to talk about protecting children in a different way. I'll explain after this. AM 1420, The Answer. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three is underway on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, that's uh, that's a live in-studio audience. Sounds just like one, doesn't it? Uh, it? It is a Tuesday, the 28th morning of the sixth month of year of our Lord, 2022. Thank you for being with us. Uh, so we're talking, obviously, all day today, just like yesterday. Terrific job by uh, Rob Allgate and Dave Zanotti, as we discussed, uh, talking about Roe versus Wade being overturned. And we're protecting children's lives. There's a different story here, though. Same subject. Protecting children's lives. The CDC thinks it's protective of children's lives if you jam untested uh, experimental RNA vaccines or slash profit jabs into their arms. I will not call them vaccines because vaccines immunize these do not immunize people from infection. We know this. They think they or at least they say they're helping children. I think it would be a better way to help children and protect them to keep these shots away from them. I want to read a couple of things as I welcome our guests to the program. Anaphylaxis, thrombosis, Jillian-Barr syndrome, myocarditis, pericarditis, Bell's palsy, and sudden adult death syndrome are all terms that have been thrust into the public spotlight following the global initiatives to mass vaccinate. And use that word again in quotation marks, it's not real. All of these syndromes can be and are the result of vaccine injury, as the CDC openly admits. Furthermore, As recently revealed, the CDC was forced to admit that boosters have no health benefits for younger people, adults aged 18 to 49. In fact, leaves them susceptible to vaccine injury for no reason. So what will happen if the youngest and most defenseless children among us are jammed with this experimental mRNA toxin? Well, joining us to answer that question is a guy who's fighting against it. Dr. Saeed Hader is a medical doctor. He is sending warnings to parents and doctors all over the country, if not all over the world, about the CDC's push for COVID shots for children under five. And if you look at the news headlines right now, U.S. regulators authorize COVID-19 vaccines for children as young as six months of age. CDC recommends COVID-19 vaccines for young children. The push, the full court press is on. How do we push back against that? Dr. Hader, thank you for joining us this morning. I appreciate your time. How are you, sir? 
Absolutely, I'm great. Thanks for having me. I think this is a really, really important topic, so I'm really glad that you're giving it, you know, the light of day and, and letting people know about it. Uh, before we continue, Saeed or Syed? I want to make sure I'm saying uh, that. Sy- Syed. Syed, sorry about that. Uh, Dr. Syed Hader, then, let's talk a little bit about this. First of all, I want people to look at your website, which I have perused myself, mygotodoc.com, mygotodoc.com. I want to talk a little bit about um, why the CDC is continuing to push this, with the quote-unquote pandemic essentially waning uh, to the point where people have said it may be endemic. It's going to be here forever in some form or another, but it is not in any way, shape, or form as lethal as they once proclaimed it to be. Why are they so two and a half years on? since this whole thing started. Why are they so hell-bent on putting these toxins into the bodies of, statistically, uh, the, the, you know, the people who have the least to be concerned about? And we're talking about the very young under five. Yeah, so that's the million-dollar question. I mean, you have to... I don't know how to answer that without assuming something nefarious, right? Some kind of... Yeah. Um, either it's just a profit motive um, or something worse than that. I don't know, because these vaccines are shaping up to be something that probably affects fertility. I mean, we have data showing that um, sperm is uh, not as strong and motile, you know, decreased sperm counts in people who've been vaccinated. We know that it concentrates in the ovaries and causes all kinds of reproductive abnormalities in women. Um, so, so certainly, I mean, there's that possibility, you know, that kind of conspiracy theory that this is a depopulation agenda. I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to go there without sounding like a crackpot. Um but, I mean, the easiest motive is just, you know, the billions and billions of dollars that it adds to Pfizer's bottom line and the fact that the government is a captured, you know, entity. It's been captured by big industry, especially big pharma. Certainly the FDA is uh, partly funded by big pharma. The mainstream media is almost entirely funded by big pharma. Um, you know, Congress is almost entirely funded by big pharma. They're the biggest donors to all political campaigns. So, so that's part of it, certainly, just the... the your profit motive and greed um beyond that i don't know you know you can speculate but the the main thing that you pointed to is that no healthy child has died since the very beginning of the pandemic and in america no children have died since omicron became prevalent so it's i mean just right out of the gate there's absolutely zero rational reason to be rolling out an experimental you know mrna gene therapy in children there's just zero need for this um, and, and then you move beyond that to like, okay, if there were, if there even were a need for it, right? If anyone was at risk, if any ch- children were at risk, would this even be effective? And the trial itself answers with a resounding no. I mean, the trial wasn't even powered to answer this question properly. They enrolled too few children, you know, in the adult trial, they enrolled 40,000 people. They, they, they chose to only enroll like less than 5,000 in the Pfizer trial and all the children's trials. Um, very few, very low numbers. They couldn't reach clinical or statistical efficacy with any of these. So all, all of the you know endpoints that are being reported, like quote unquote eighty percent efficacy, is just a big lie. I mean, the range of possible numbers because the because the trial participants are so low range from negative two hundred seventy percent efficacy to like ninety nine percent efficacy. Most of that range is in negative territory, which means if it's closer to negative three seventy percent, it's you're three point seven times more likely to catch the virus right, than if you hadn't taken the shot. And we've already seen that in, in the adult real-world, um, you know, data that you're more likely to catch it, you know. And and certainly now with Omicron, the virus has changed so much that this these original jabs are, like, they don't even make any sense. You know, you can't even argue for them scientifically. 
So, so the, the trial is garbage at this point. Um, all the children's trials are utter garbage. They shouldn't be relied upon for anything, you know. Um, and yet they're pushing ahead with it based on the immune response, right? So they checked a random sample of these kids, 5% of the kids in the trial. They checked them for antibody responses and compared it to some other random sample of adults in the adult trials who had, you know, antibody responses. They don't explain how they chose either sample why they compared them, and they are, like, it's already been publicly stated by the VRB PAC, a link that we know of to efficacy of any kind, right? So so we know the vaccines don't prevent transmission, right? So it's not like you're protecting grandma and grandpa, right? Um, and we know kids aren't endangered by them. So so what's the reason for them? It's, I think you get to the very heart of the question, why are we doing this? Yeah, and... and- Moreover, I, I, I want to know how um, permission was given, given the very first part of this. When I when I introduced you, we're talking with Dr. Syed Hader, uh, a, a physician who is warning doctors and parents, do not jam these, as you call them, gene therapy shots into the arms of your children under the ages of five. There is no purpose for it. As I introduced you, I referenced this line, quote, all of these syndromes can be and are the result of vaccine injury, as the CDC openly admits. Doctor, what has the CDC admitted to? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously they're admitting that these are not safe, you know, that they there is danger involved. Um, I just spoke yesterday with a, a man in Canada who was um, reimbursed or, you know, quote-unquote reimbursed by the Canadian government for Guillain-Barre syndrome that he uh, contracted within days of receiving his shot. I mean, if you look at the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, which we have relied on for 40, 50 years now in this country, um, the number of total reported adverse events is in the millions. All right. And the um, the number of deaths is in the tens of thousands. We have nearly 30,000 deaths being reported. And everyone has to realize that that's just the tip of the iceberg, the very, very tippy top of the iceberg. You have to multiply those numbers by anywhere from like 40 to 100 to get the true number of adverse events and deaths in this country. So we have hospitalizations. You have strokes, you have heart attacks. But, but doctor, doctor, it. if I may, the, you know, the critics, people who will criticize and probably have tried to cancel you and other doctors who have pointed this out would say just the opposite. Rather than having to multiply that number to get the true number of adverse events, they're actually saying you've got to shrink that number because those are not trustworthy because they are self-reports. People self-report in the VAR system with the CDC all of these adverse events, events so they can't be verified. Yeah, so this has been an issue with the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System since time immemorial. We've always had this issue. But even with that problem, Harvard themselves, you know, they they did a study, and they estimated that despite all the problems with theirs, it's still an underreporting factor of about 100. So you have to multiply whatever reports you get by 100 to get the true number of real events in the population, even if some of the events reported to theirs are false. I mean, maybe Russian hackers are reporting events to bears. I don't know, right? Um, bears isn't like, it is also checked, okay? So you can't put in multiple, multiple reports. They do check and weed out reports that they think are fraudulent or wrong and that shouldn't be there. So it's not completely an unchecked database. Um, so there is, there is um, you know, government oversight to this database. There could have been a better database, right? And we actually designed one. And then, you know, because of these special interest groups like the pharmaceutical companies, it was never implemented. So we could certainly have a much better reporting system, and we've chosen not to, okay? It wouldn't be very expensive. Um, Bears is the best we have, and so all we can do is compare apples to apples, right? We've used it always for vaccine adverse events, 
So why would we stop using it now? Why did we believe it before and we don't believe it now? I mean, it's always been used. This is the system that the CDC and the FCA have always relied upon for vaccine safety. Why stop well, now? Dr. Um, let's, let's look at this from a different perspective, too. Let's suppose for just a second that this this reporting system is faulty and flawed and and rather than the other way around which you said that Harvard came up with which, you know but multiply by 100 um let's say it's half let's say just the other way around it's half as many adverse events have happened than have been reported let's just say half of them are fake like you said russian hackers or or just you know people with agendas uh trying to undercut the cdc and undercut the administration or whatever even so, we are talking about hundreds of thousands of people uh, suffering very serious adverse events, and now they want to, not knowing, you know what the, what this is going to do to babies, jam the, these 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 toxins into the arms of babies, and parents are lining up around the block waiting for the opportunity to put this into their kids' arms because of the massive propaganda campaign that has been put in place here by the big pharmaceutical companies and, quite frankly, the Biden administration itself, along with the CDC, which is, of course, you know, uh, pledging their fealty to Biden since he basically runs it. Um, that's what I don't understand. Even if you, you don't believe the full numbers of adverse events the CDC has acknowledged, you're still risking your kids' health by putting them in, in harm's way, are you not? Why do so many parents fall for this? Absolutely. I mean, I'll do you one better. Assume 99% of reports are fraudulent. Um, still, you would have far more reports than any other vaccine in history, far more deaths. You would still have hundreds of deaths, wow. even if 99% of the deaths reported are wrong. In the past, with any other vaccine, the stopping condition would be 50 deaths Okay, that would be the stopping condition. We've far exceeded that. Even if you assume 99% of the death reports are wrong or not linked to the vaccine, it actually is probably the other direction, okay? Because um, everyone knows doctors. I mean, in the medical profession, we all know physicians who just aren't reporting. They have, we're seeing way more adverse events, I mean, with this vaccine than any other in history. Um, and so, so neurologists, cardiologists, everyone, everyone's seeing it and everyone's afraid of talking about it and reporting it. Um, but yeah, so why would parents do this, right? Even if there's a one in a hundred thousand chance of death or one in a million chance of death, there's basically a zero chance of harm from the, from COVID, right? And it's not going to prevent somebody else from dying. It's not going to prevent your kid from passing it on. I mean, at this point, I think everyone knows people who have been double, triple vaccinated, right? And they've gotten COVID two or three times. This is actually what we're seeing, that it makes you more likely to catch the infection You're exactly and spread right. it. You're exactly right. And Dr. Fauci, of course, who's quadruple vaxxed and uh, wears two masks everywhere he goes, or at least in, when cameras are around anyway, uh, he still came down with it. You're exactly I want to throw another story at you here. Uh, on Friday, I guess this was Friday, the CDC uh, declared that children as young as six months of age may simultaneously receive the COVID-19 injections and other routine vaccines on the same day, although they have not studied it at all. No safety study has been conducted by the vaccine manufacturers to find out whether or not there would be adverse events or some sort of problem with putting COVID-19 injections into these little babies at the same time as some of their other, uh, uh, you know, MMR and, and, and other, other vaccinations that they may receive. So they're not studying it, but they're saying do it anyway. Yeah, I mean, of course, you're getting this straight from the vaccine companies. The vaccine companies are leaning on the FDA and the CDC. And, and why? 
because they want to make it as easy as possible. They don't, don't want to add an extra visit, right? They want to get all children vaccinated, as many as possible. They want to make as much money as possible. They want to normalize it, right? Just normalize vaccinations for everyone in the country, regardless of their age. And then, you know, they'll, they'll say, okay, now you need them twice a year or every year for the rest of your life. You know, one more moneymaker added to the vaccine schedule. Right. Um, so at the end of the day, it's just pure, unadulterated greed. And parents really need to break outside their little bubble online. If we're all living in these little bubbles where we get, like, you know, reinforcement of everything we already believe from all the websites and all the social media followers that we already have, break outside the bubble, go look up some something written by somebody else, right? Um, go look up Peter McCullough, go look up Robert Malone, go look up Pierre Corey, Paul Merrick, uh, some of these doctors are the most highly, like, um, you know, um, published physicians in their field. Okay, Peter McCullough, there's no other cardiologist in the world that's published more than he has. Paul Merrick, he's the second most published critical care doctor in the world. These people are warning you against you know, vaccinating your kids. Go read what they've read. These are experts. You know, you can't yeah, get yeah, but Dr. Hader, here's the, here's, the, here's, the, here's the problem with this. You could get the experts of experts. Um, I, I, I posted uh, a two-minute speech or two-minute two portion of a speech from Dr. Malone, who holds the patent on mRNA technology, for crying out loud, which is, of course, used yeah. to create these non-vaccine vaccines. Um, and I got canceled or, you know, suspended by Facebook for sharing, uh, uh, you know, violating community standards by sharing information that may be harmful to other people's health. So if I share Dr. Hader, if I share Dr. McCullough, Dr. Malone or anybody else, I'm, I'm canceled. I'm a crackpot. I'm a nut. I'm a loon. I'm trying to spread conspiracy theories. That's the real issue here is they have won the propaganda wars. They have found a way to silence anybody from presenting any dissenting information. And, and of course, we all know, and you know, because you're a scientist as a doctor, uh, science yearns to be challenged. It yearns to be questioned. It can't just be said it is settled when there are so many things like this that, that ask questions. And so rather than try to answer them, they, 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 they shut them down. They censor them. Yeah, that's a great point. The, the scientific method itself tries to disprove right? It's holy cows. Whatever it believes, exactly. whatever kind of theories you have, they're always theories. They're not facts, right? There is no the science. It's like a settled fact. It's always a theory that you're trying to disprove. And if you can't disprove it, it strengthens it. Our science has been turned completely upside down. We don't have science anymore, especially in the realm of medicine. You're not allowed to challenge the theories, right? And they're not even called theories anymore. They're just called science, you know, as if it's a settled you know, truth come down from God, right? I mean, it's certainly not. And so we are no longer being scientific as a culture, as a society, and certainly not at the FDA and and in the, you know, pharmaceutical companies. They are being, like, it's scientism. It's like something that's going by the name of science. It looks kind of like science, but it's really a religion, right? And and it kind of feels like that, too, when you see these people. You can't reason with them, right? You can reason with a scientist. You can't reason with a zealot, a religious, you know, zealot. And that's what these people are. They're zealots. And, and I can understand why. I mean, they've been frightened out of their minds for two years straight. They can't think properly anymore. They can't reason about this particular topic anymore. And so, so why are people doing this? Why are people lining up around the block to get these things put into their kids' arms? Uh, it's because they've been so frightened they don't even, they can't even see the facts, right? You, you try to tell them no child has died and they, it just like bypasses some kind of brain circuit, right? It doesn't, it just goes right over their head. They, they just yeah. don't get it, right? You ask them, like, what do you think the risk is to you or your children or your grandparents, you know? And they, they 
by orders of magnitude, they think that the risk is like so high that it justifies anything, right? Yeah. It justifies any risk to well, counteract that's, COVID. That's the nature of propaganda. Uh, it, it's very, very powerful. People don't know what the truth is. They don't know truth from reality. And that is exactly what the pharmaceutical companies, the CDC, and the administration, I think, all uh, have as their goal. Uh, Dr. Syed Hader, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you doing what you're doing online and uh, everywhere that you can to try to open people's eyes, and particularly open parents' eyes, uh, to stop them from getting in line for these things. They have no earthly idea what they're doing to their children, and they're trusting people who should not be trusted. So thank you for sounding the alarm. And uh, we'll We'll check in with you again to follow up on this. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Appreciate it. Delivering you from the depravity of the radical left. Always right. Radio with Bob Fratz on The Answer. So um, I haven't addressed this today. It's 1138 now. I haven't addressed this yet today. Because there's not much to say about it other than it's awful, it's horrific, and it is Joe Biden's fault. Um, A trailer full of migrants trying to become what we would call illegal aliens. It's reality. That's what it's called. But 46 people tragically dead in San Antonio, abandoned by their smugglers, the human smugglers and traffickers who were bringing them across. Uh, sweltering heat, of course, in the back of that trailer, no air conditioning on, uh, they suffocated and died horrible deaths. So not much to say about that other than it's Joe Biden's fault. And why is it Joe Biden's fault? Well, that should be obvious. Joe Biden has rolled out a red carpet and announced open for business to everyone around the world who wants to come to our southern border. It's why he, in a year and a half of being president, has not visited it. Not once. His vice president has not visited it. Not once. Oh, I know. They coaxed her into going down to El Paso, which was not the corridor where the overwhelming number of people were crossing the border. But just to be able to say, we went down. Claiming, oh, well, we're working on the root causes of immigration and all the other countries. We're talking to the leaders. Say, why do they want to leave your beautiful country to come here? We've got to figure that out. And you know what? Here, here's a few billion dollars to upgrade your own personal infrastructure so that maybe they'll want to stay. Which, of course, is not our business. Our business is keeping them out of our country without being invited in. That is called legal immigration. That is what we love and what we support. It's what we're built on. That's why this melting pot exists. We welcome people from around the world legally. But he has rolled out the red carpet to illegal immigrants. And that has just made them take very, very serious risks about getting here because they know once they get here, Biden will let them stay here. And that's why they'll pile 46 of them into a, into a tractor trailer and they're willing to do it. Well, Jean, or excuse me, uh, not Jean, Jean-Pierre, Corrine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, was forced to answer about this, this issue. She was forced to answer questions about dead migrants in, a, in the back of a truck. Any concerns here that the president's policies may have led to this, which, of course, there are? Here's her response. Uh, we're focused on them, on the facts, uh, on, and holding the human strugglers who endangered. The human strugglers. The human strugglers. Uh, 
vulnerable individual uh, individuals for profits accountable, uh, and we're and we're focused on continuing our historic actions to disrupt dangerous smuggling networks, including through new uh, anti-smuggling campaign that just in the first two months uh, resulted in over 1,800 arrests. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, the border is closed. Her abject stupidity is exceeded perhaps only by her complete divorce from reality. But remember, she's black and she's gay. That was the very first thing they wanted you to know about her when they appointed her press secretary to replace Propaganda Patty, otherwise known as Jen Psaki, who was horrific and a liar in her filling of that role. But when they replaced Jen Psaki with Karine Jean-Pierre, they didn't tell you about her qualifications. They didn't tell you about her college education. They didn't talk about her career experience. They said she's black and she's gay, and that's history. So because she's black and she's gay, she's in a job for which she is wholly unqualified, and she makes that apparent every day. But her qualifications and her explanations are one thing. Her dishonesty is worthy of her predecessor, Jen Psaki, herself, when she says things Months, like... Uh, ...resulted in over 1,800 arrests, uh, but the fact of the matter is the border is closed. The border is closed. Last month, in the month of May, we had 240,000 crossings that we know of! And you're going to stand there... And tell us that the border is closed? How stupid do we look? Kareen? Joe? Your policies of open borders and catch and release. Let them come in, apprehend them, give them a free plane or bus ride to whatever part of the country they want to go. And then tell them we expect you to come back for an asylum hearing in two years. You'll never see them again. Unless, of course, they get arrested. And then they'll be let free, set free, again, never to be seen again. Who are you kidding? Yes, the blood of those 46 dead migrants is on your hands. And yes, the blood of countless numbers of American citizens at the hands of illegal aliens who were allowed into this country and encouraged to do so by Joe Brandon is also on his hands. I, for one, am tired of dancing around the issues here. This man is killing people and getting people dead with extraordinary efficiency. Unlike really almost anything you've ever seen before. Whether it's in American cities, whether it's extraordinary amounts of violent crime being spiked because his left-wing policies and left-wing district attorneys and left-wing judges, all with fealty to the likes of George Soros, continue to have no cash bail policies, no prosecutions of certain crimes, all in an effort to improve equity in the criminal justice system. You're killing people, and I'm tired of dancing around it. Let's say it the way that it is. From their policy on Roe versus Wade to their policies on criminal uh, violence and, and uh, violent crime, rather, to their policies on the southern border, the Democrat Party is the party of death. They're a death cult. Change my mind. I dare you. Thanks, everyone, for listening today. Have a safe day. Be well and remain free. We'll see you tomorrow. Let's go, Brandon.